0: Hello, and welcome everybody to According to Andrew, number 95. It has been a minute, but I just finished Lord of the Rings, and I felt like it would be a travesty if I didn't talk about uh, how great it was and just uh, the various things I was able to pull from it, and uh, I want to talk about it. And this is obviously isn't going to reach nearly the level that uh, Rachel Fulton Brown reaches in her uh, deep dive on... Uh, Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings and all that stuff, and I've listened to about 30 episodes of that series or something, and it's absolutely fantastic. I actually started to listen to it before I read the books, so I had some stuff to kind of pull from and reference to as I was going through the books, and that was kind of fun. Uh, This is the first time I'd ever read the books, uh, which is a travesty. Uh, I watched the movies, I was like, I don't know, maybe between 10 and 15, uh, when the... Movies came out, and I would watched those years ago, and then because I had watched them, I never really got around to, um, reading the books. Because, like, I mean, how different could they be? Uh, and to be honest, the book, the movies do a good job of, uh, representing the books, but there was a couple things in the movies that always kind of bugged me. Um, and I thought that the way that they were addressing the books was much better. Um, <clears throat> to just dive into that, uh... The, so I found a lot of moments in the books kind of inexplicable. Uh, in the movies that were mo- done much better in the books, uh, there's moments in the movies where they kind of gave various characters the proverbial uh, idiot football and would have them do stuff that just seemed out of character, didn't really fit. Seemed like they could just explain it in a slightly better manner. And sure, it wouldn't necessarily fix the situation, but it would make a bad situation. Uh, it wouldn't make a bad situation worse. Which is some of the stuff that seemed to come across when I was. Watching the movie, uh, the the moment that always stood out to me was when Gollum's in the, at the pool uh, trying to catch his, his fresh fish, um, and Faramir's going to have him killed, and Frodo is like, no, he's our guide, I want to save him, kind of thing. And then like that interaction in the movies just always came off bad to me. I, haven't, I don't remember how it's done in the extended versions, but it is um, very different in the book where instead you know Frodo does kind of explain it he you know Gollum still hurt he doesn't really forgive him kind of thing but at least there's like an attempt of like hey my hands were kind of tied thing so the fact that that was that was in there really kind of satisfied my thing also they did a much better job in the books uh in the movies they just kind of make Frodo come off as kind of naive overly trusting of like Gollum who is obviously someone he wouldn't want to trust or anything like that And I find in the books he's much more wise and cunning and uh, a much better fit for being the ring bearer because it's a big responsibility uh, and a big burden that is placed on him. And in the books they show that he has the noble character to really fulfill that that task. Um, And in the movies he just, you know, it it doesn't come off that way. So those are the things that I think really um, the book did did much better justice uh so other notes on there uh interesting and I know Tolkien uh hates the term allegory but uh I found it very interesting at the very end there was this little part where they're describing Mordor and it's like this lifeless field and then they fall down into these these bushes and they're they're wiry and they have like these long spikes and stuff like that and it was in that moment that I uh had remembered that uh, Tolkien was a World War I vet, and Mordor is, is the no man's land, right, absolutely, like, there's, the way it, it's described, and then these bushes they fall into are, from my perspective, obviously barbed wire, right, oh, I thought no, no, uh, bush or, or shrub would grow out here, and, you know, the way the barbed wire was laid across in the, the no man's land of the trenches and stuff like that, if it worked as a bush, but it wasn't really, uh, a living thing, as it were. So I I just found that kind of interesting. Um, it might just be where I'm at in life because uh, this book just like really it started slow. I was kind of dragging my feet when I was reading it. The first the first section kind of uh, took a while for me to get into. But I really grew to appreciate that um, that part of the book later on. But I'll, I'll touch on that in a minute. Uh, <clears throat> but it might just be where I am in life because I the the Hobbit's journey, the reluctance journey. Just always strikes a chord, and I know that's part of the whole myth arc, right? Uh, there's the call to adventure, then the oh no, I don't want to go on to adventure, then uh, being kind of forced into the adventure. I know that's part of the myth, and maybe that's that's just the thing that always gets me. But it's it just the hobbits. I think embody it in a different way, right? The because um, the hobbits are in a world that is uncertain and full of peril, larger uh, than themselves. Uh, but you must be brave on your journey. Uh, and journey into it regardless and that's kind of how we are right <clears throat> uh, there's a wide world out there and it's it's larger than life it's bigger than us individually but still we must you know and and things are uncertain especially in these times right now uh, but still we must uh, put on a brave face and and work our way through through all these these issues uh, so I find that the hobbit spirit is the, uh, is that of humans called to be greater than uh, their stature suggests, and yet rising to the occasion. <clears throat> um, I'll touch on that in a minute. Uh, oh, and then, so to, to get back to the other part about the, the first part of the book being slow, but then really kind of relating that, to that later, after I had kind of gotten through the rest of the book and was reflecting on it more, um... So one thing that I really liked is, that in the movie, you wouldn't get the sense that there's like 40 years that pass between uh, Frodo being handed the ring, or maybe it's 20. It's a long time. Basically, in the uh, in the movie, it comes across as like being, you know, maybe a years time, maybe it, maybe like five at most, if you're really kind of stretching it. But it's like it's like almost 20 years kind of thing. Um, but I kind of appreciate that because sometimes we kind of can feel stuck in a rut or stuck kind of in our place and not really knowing where to go, not feeling like we're kind of treading water. We're not really moving forward in life and sometimes being stuck feeling that we, we have to go do something. We have to make our impact on the world. The time's running out and that's a good driving motivator, right? That's the thing that gets us up in the morning, the thing that makes us do something, the, the thing that maybe puts us on the right path if we've been, uh, you know making incorrect decisions. And, uh, you know, that can be as serious as drug abuse type stuff to as simple as uh, just, you know, not eating healthy. Uh, And that that slow plotting is interesting because it it does reflect uh, life so much. It it takes years for things to kind of come to fruition. uh, But during that time, it can feel like you're spinning your wheels. Uh, I feel that it relates well to uh, the seeming never-end COVID stuff, uh, where we must simply endure, but sometimes our impatience starts to breed a hopelessness that will uh, that it'll never end, or in Frodo's case, that his adventure will never come. <clears throat> and there's just there's so many elements within the Lord of the Rings that just have a human element to them that I find really compelling. Um, talking about the, I'm gonna jump over to uh, the social sexual hi- hierarchy real quick. Uh, Because I find Sam the most interesting uh, person in this this regard. Because he's... I don't exactly know where to place him. And it's not really super important. But Sam's supposed to be the everyday man. And so therefore, he's the most compelling and interesting character. uh, In a sense. You know, there's... uh, You like people like Aragorn and Gimli and and Legolas and stuff like that. But uh, they have like an air of nobility about them or people like Gandalf are, you know, wizards, there's magic, it's, it's kind of foreign to us. The Hobbits are supposed to be us, they're supposed to be kind of the reflection, and Sam's supposed to be more of the everyday kind of person, so he's the most relatable character within the story. <clears throat> um, and so uh, Sam seems like uh, he might be a Delta that is called into a Bravo status due to the need of Frodo, um, but alternatively you could say that he was always a Bravo as well, Uh because of his uh, unquestioned loyalty is exceptional loyalty to uh, Frodo is kind of above and beyond um, what I would see as, as someone potentially just kind of called the role and not it not naturally uh, be fitting uh, to them so those are kind of my my thoughts on that uh, to go a little bit deeper into it um, <clears throat> into that aspect is the interesting relationship of Frodo Sam and Gollum because <clears throat> Gollum's the the gamma, and then Frodo's your Bravo, and then the leaders, uh, or no, Frodo's the Alpha, the the leader of the group, and uh, Sam is the Bravo. Uh, the Lord of the Rings seems to imply that the su- subversive nature of Gammas is, in ways, more grating to the Bravos than it is to the Alphas. Uh, Sam trusts Frodo, but since he does not know uh, what is going on in his head, it appears at times that Frodo is trusting of Gollum. When he most certainly is not. However, because this information can't always be communicated to keep group cohesion, the Bravo is left uh, looking at decisions that seem blatantly foolish, but has gen- uh, but his general sense of duty and trust in the Alpha will be deferred to uh, when most of these decisions are made. Though, as in Sam's case, they might uh, somewhat op- be openly contentious of the decisions. Eventually, either the intentions of the decision will be re- revealed to the Bravo, restoring his faith in the Alpha's decision-making, or the issue comes to a head and Bravo forces a decision that either expels him or the Gamma from the group, destroying the group. This does go to show why it is best to keep Gammas out of an organization as best as possible, but when it is necessary uh, to include one like in the Lord of the Rings example, uh, it is important to address the real concerns of the Bravo from time to time. Which, I don't know, I just it was kind of an interesting observation. That, that was in the second book, especially when... Um, gollum's like plotting behind their back and sam feels like uh frodo is just kind of being led in and in this folly direction and doesn't actually believe that gollum is capable of any any evil and stuff like that and he does a good job to show that that is not the case and that he is uh he knows more that's going on than he he lets on which is a smart way to play your hand um One thing I do have to say is, uh, so usually when I finish a a book or a series or something like that, especially like a fantasy one where you go on this journey uh, with the characters and stuff like that, you always feel kind of sad that you have to uh, let the book go. But um, the ending of this book just really hit me harder than than most, uh, which was interesting. I think it was just because so so many of the things and aspects within the book are uh, much more relatable and real than a lot of other fantasy books that I've read. Um and, and to this point, um there are a lot of epic tales uh, of journey that feel both like lifetime uh, and a brief moment. That's kind of th- because that feeling is kind of what gives you the um, the blues at the end of end of a book. Um, maybe if you're a really fast reader, this isn't a problem to you personally but you know you, you reflect on the book and it feels like so much has happened and yet no time is seemingly past at all at the exact same time uh and I feel like that can that kind of goes back to the human nature aspect of it where uh you know you can summarize someone's life in a paragraph or an entire book and both are in a sense uh reasonable ways to describe their life <clears throat> right uh when I when I reflect on what happened within the Lord of the Rings, it feels like oh if you just hit the key highlights, you're like but like this happened, this you can just create a list of bullet points, and in, in one sense you're like you know not a lot happened, but at the same same time like everything happened, a lot happened, uh, and obviously that's getting into the details, the the description of the scenery, all that stuff, and it's just it's this kind of interesting dynamic where you're both. Uh, you can be stretched out and, and compressed in these different ways, and it just... I guess a lot of these are just kind of feelings, and I'm not the greatest at describing them, but I'm doing what I can. <laughs> um, going back to the Sam and Frodo, I think the the end of the book is a very emotional hit because that's when uh, Frodo heads off to the Grey Havens and says goodbye to Sam, and it's just really um, a sad moment, uh, especially since... These two have been inseparable, and this is really the only time they've been separated in the entire book. And through this whole long journey, this whole aspect of of all the things that they had to do, they they never uh, parted ways. And now they they finally have to part, and that that again goes to the human condition of you know having to say goodbye to loved ones and things like that. Uh, you know, as much as you want to. <clears throat> have your loved ones around for all, eternity. your grandparents, your parents, all that stuff, eventually we have to say goodbye um, at a certain point, and there's, you know, the hope of rejoining them um, in the Grey Havens or in Heaven or things like that, but, um, you know, that's that's a hope that's far off, and it, it's not folly to have said hope, but um, that uh, the hope of a distant payoff does little to uh, sweeten the bitterness of the Uh, moment that you're in and it it uh I find it interesting that it kind of like stories like that help remind me of my grandparents and my uh people that I've lost within my life and stuff like that and in ways that just kind of trying to remember them trying to remember have various days of remembrance don't seem to bring up uh memories like that as much uh you know because you can kind of the aspects within the story you can kind of weave in your own experiences and be like, oh, I remember when I did that with my grandparents, and stuff like that, or or things of that nature. And it, it helps kind of bring the memories back alive, which is interesting because it's like, well, it's fictional, but then because of this aspect, it, it kind of creates like a realness uh, that you don't find in other mediums. And I've, this happens with other books and stuff like that, but it, I don't know, I just... I noticed it more with *The Lord of the Rings than I can remember from other books. Obviously, this one's uh, most current in my memory, so that could be the reason for that. <clears throat> uh, let's go through the rest of my notes here. Um, So, I had um, a couple minor thoughts on some of the... Th- Obviously, Tolkien's a brilliant writer, and he's. if I ever write something, it's never going to achieve the uh, level of his stuff. (laughs) But one thing that I did find kind of interesting was um, the distances people traveled and the time between uh, the Helm's Deep Fight and the Minas Tirith Fight. Um, So the distance people traveled, like, I've done some hiking, and it was in mountains, so that's a little different. But these people are hiking cross-country, so it's like, it's different, but at the same time, like, I've had to walk through um, like tall grasses and stuff like that, it's not easy. So, um, you know, most of the time they're not on roads and yet they're still covering like 20 miles in a day. And you have like short little hobbits with little hobbit legs and stuff like that. And they're still covering 20 miles in a day. So, um, obviously these people are going to be way more in shape and and fit than I ever was and and things like that. But at the same time, if you look at how they describe the hobbits, they're kind of easy going. Like they're, they have a softer lifestyle that is more akin. We have our modern day is very soft, but you know, still, like, hobbits have kind of a softer lifestyle that is a not 20-mile journey every day kind of thing, and that adjustment would be pretty hard to make, so um, that part seemed a little extreme, but, you know, it's kind of, it, it's it's not like it really distracts from the, the book. I just kind of, like, from my own experience, I was kind of like, this is a lot of hiking, dude, um, and uh, it seemed like it was overly rushed. With the Helms deep into the here thing, I get that was pretty much the point. So maybe, maybe I'm kind of defeating my own point here with saying that it was, it was too not enough time to really get people going and stuff like that. But I'm just imagining the logistical nightmare of trying to move five thousand people within a week's time over this huge journey with like no, we haven't really gotten provisions set up and things like that. Um, they're given like no time to get all this sorted and stuff like that, and the whole point that, I mean, that was part of the point, was not to give them time, so that, uh, they couldn't gather all of their troops, and they just had to set out with what they had, <coughs> but at the same time, it, there was parts of the, the, the book that were, like, were really slow, right, they spent, like, an, a, a month in Rivendell, this, and a month in, like, Lothlorien, it's, like, you couldn't give them, like, an extra week, it still seems like, if it was a two-week thing, it would still be pressing enough, but like also make it so that, Oh yeah. You know, we can make sure that we have our provisions that we're getting the proper, uh, food and supplies, uh, stocked up for, uh, this long journey across country to ride to our doom or, or hopefully save the West kind of thing. So, uh, that, that aspect kind of threw me for, uh, a little bit of the loop, but uh, you know, it's really, it's not really the end of the world. Um, and then, to kind of help uh, wrap up some of these things. So, I know Tolkien uh, thought that the West was in its twilight when he was alive, but you can tell by the writing that he was still close enough to a more upstanding age that feels like it doesn't exist anymore. When you read his descriptions of Aragorn, uh, and what he when he takes on his kingly duty and the air of nobility that surrounds him, it just feels like an idea from an era that has gone past. It, it doesn't... Some of the descriptions and some of this idea of uh, moral leadership and strong nobility that stand up and do the right thing kind of, it just, it's kind of Victorian esque and it doesn't really fit in our era. And I'm kind of sad that that doesn't really exist anymore. And obviously that's something you can work on to bring back, but it's just, it, when you haven't, like, it's hard to know what it's like when you haven't seen it yourself kind of thing. Um, you know, you can read about books and things like that, but you don't know what the culture... Like, I can read about the Middle Ages and stuff like that, but really getting into understanding what the cultural uh, day-to-day life was for people and things like that and and the uh, dignity and air of nobility that people held themselves to and not just to seem better than they were, but to actually be a shining light and a, an example for people Um it just, it's hard to, it's not that it's hard, it's hard to relate to in a sense, but more importantly, it's, it seems like a sign of something that was lost. Um, it, so the notion uh, of the fourth era and magic disappearing out of the world, it feels like it was a delineation of our own time. Uh, which is before World War One and after World War Two, uh, which was the transition period. And what stands on either side of them are the two different eras. So basically, the third age in our era, our third age was the Victorian era, and the fourth age is World War, War, War World War Two and before. And the transition era is World War, between World War One and World War Two. <coughs> and if you kind of look back on on society and life and what things were kind of like it does feel like you know those were different times Uh, another delineation that seems like it was a pretty major shift at least in american history is pre-civil war post-civil war right you you have this kind of society was this way and now it's this way and uh maybe one that we're potentially living through right now it's hard to say say when you're in the moment is um you know pre pre pre-covid post-covid kind of thing um and i I think some of that might have in in times in the future you might say like that the whole process started with like the 9-11 situation and things slowly boiled and then when they really kicked off with the covid thing then you have so our transition period is basically 9-11 to covid and um you know so you uh, and then the the fifth Era basically starts, and who knows what's going to be in in that section. Maybe we'll get back to some of the the noble noble times that are thought of in the Victorian area. I know it had its issues and all that, but um, you know there's there's aspects of that society that uh, aren't are no longer there, and it's it's uh, kind of lost. Um, and then last couple things: uh, the orcs uh, fit SJWs to a T. Uh, they destroy things simply for the fact that. ...of the destruction of self. Uh, They hate the good, the beautiful, the true. They cannot create, only mock or distort. Uh, They turn on each other... ...at the slightest provocation... ...or any chance to get ahead. uh, And they are kept in line by fear... ...and mutual hatred for... uh, ...the good, the beautiful, and the true. So that's kind of interesting. And then Saruman shows... uh, ...how evil operates and turns on itself... uh, ...when he convinces Wormtongue to do his dirty work... ...and then immediately throws him under the bus. Uh, Wormtum claims that he was doing it uh, at Sar- Saruman's bidding. Saruman denies it kind of thing. Uh, and this, this again, relates back to the, the COVID situation where uh, you're going to have a lot of people who are like... There's going to be leaders that try to shirk their responsibility and their culpability in the, uh, in like the vaccine program or things of that nature. Uh, it's going to be funny if this video gets flagged for that. Um, because... They're like, well, you chose it. And it's like, well, it was coerced, or you lied to me, and stuff like that. Um, But none of that. uh, These leaders aren't truly leaders because they don't take responsibility for the actions that they uh, set uh, the course on others. Um, And you see the evidence of this behavior in politics and all over the place. Politics is probably the most um, glaring one. Uh Uh, because the person that coerced the person to coerce another person into action, uh, they can, to a certain sen- sense, rightly claim, "Well, I didn't do that action." Um, at the same time, if you're in a leadership position and stuff like that, and you're telling people this is the action to do, you are partially responsible for that action. But uh, the wicked will never uh, take responsibility for that, and that shows their poor moral character and penchant for wickedness. Uh, so that basically wraps up my uh, my thoughts on Lord of the Rings, kind of. Uh, you know, slapped together of a whole bunch of different things. Um, maybe I didn't really uh, talk about the greatness, but like, just that's just kind of the the skim surface of all the various um, things and that you can pull from and learn from Lord of the Rings. It's uh, Lord of the Rings is a great story because it's a human story, um, and it it talks about uh, trial and and uh, suffering, hope and despair and making sure that to push to the last, um, regardless of in, seemingly insurmountable odds and, and making things, uh, work out in the end. Um, so if you haven't read the book, I highly recommend it. It can take a bit to get into, uh, and it can be hard. I definitely fell asleep a couple of times while I was reading it, but, uh, you know, just take it slowly, blot on, uh, just a little bit every day. And, uh, when you get done with it, I'm sure you'll be very glad that you, you read it. So, uh, Anyway, this has been According to Andrew. Uh, Hope you guys have a good day, and goodbye.